we are kind of caught this morning in between, in between two different sermon series. We finished up the book of Ephesians last week. Next week, I'm actually getting really excited about this, we're starting the book of Deuteronomy, uh, everyone's favorite book from the Old Testament, I know. Uh, and we're going to be going through Deuteronomy through the, the entire summer, hopefully learning a lot from it. And we're kind of in an awkward place this week. I didn't really want to end a sermon series or begin a sermon series on Memorial Day because Memorial Day weekend, you know, people's plans are different. Uh, so we have kind of a one-off. Uh, I just figured I would just stop and talk through how to share the gospel with somebody. Something really, really practical, really powerful, I hope. We're just going to talk through what the gospel is. We're going to talk through a few simple steps in order to, to share that gospel with the people around you. So we have on our screen, you guys can see that well, I was a little bit worried about that, a graphic. It says creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. I'm just curious, is that language familiar to anybody or is it not familiar? Getting a couple head nods, a few people are familiar with it, that's, that's very good. The idea behind this is that the Bible as we have it is not just a collection of individual stories and letters for specific people at a specific time. It, it is that, but it's more than that. The Bible, even though it was written over a period of about a millennia and a half, 1,500 years, even though it was written by people in Africa and in Asia and in Europe who spoke Aramaic and Hebrew and Greek and Latin, even though it was written by all of these different people, upper-class people like doctors, lower-class people like fishermen, kings, and peasants, even though the Bible has such a diversity, the Bible tells us one story. And our text this morning was from Romans 8, but in, in, a, in a very real way, I'm preaching from the entire Bible this morning, right? Normally, we zoom up into just one paragraph of text, and we look to see what that says, but, but today, we're going to zoom all the way out. We're going to see what the entire Bible says to us. We're going to have a framework for what it says. We're going to have a framework for what the gospel is. So the Bible is written really in four different movements, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Creation, I think a lot of us are familiar with, right? The Bible says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the first two chapters of the Bible are the story of how God creates a world, but also within that world, he creates a place for him to meet with Adam and Eve. The Garden of Eden was not just a nice place to live. It wasn't just a place where they had, you know, food to eat and, you know, water to drink. It was a place where they could go and meet God. In a lot of ways, it was like a temple. They could go and have fellowship with God there. But the story of this paradise in our Bibles, we have no idea how long it actually lasted in history. Scripture doesn't tell us. But in our Bibles, that lasts for two whole chapters. God creates this perfect world. God creates this place where he can have fellowship with us, where Adam and Eve can go and meet with God, where they can worship him, where they can have true and total relationships with their God, with each other, with the creation around them. Everything was just as it should be. Everything was in harmony with itself. But in chapter 3, something happened. Adam and Eve rebelled against God. God gave them one commandment. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only thing. And a serpent comes along and says, did, did God really tell you that? 
And when Adam and Eve should have taken that serpent and, and thrown it out of the garden as far as it could go, they listened to him. They rebelled against God. And from that point forward, humanity has been marked not by perfect fellowship with each other, not by harmony with the world, not by harmony with God, but by sin and division. As we read in the text earlier, creation was subjected to futility. It stopped working like it was supposed to. And so we all became sinners. None of us were born good people, but we all have this inner selfish core to ourselves. And the world just stopped working like it was supposed to. Right? We now have death, disease, famine, oppression. We have all of these things. The world fell. And the story of the fall, really, we think of it sometimes just in Genesis chapter 3, but the reality is that the next several chapters show the ways in which God's creation fell. Adam and Eve sinned. They were kicked out of the garden. Cain killed his brother, and he wound up being driven even farther and farther from this place where God had come down to dwell with his people. In the days of Noah, there was, there was this massive rebellion, right? No one did what was right in the eyes of God. And so God, he buried everyone in, in water. He buried them in this deep, dark, watery place. They try, in Genesis 11, they try to create like, this tower that's going to go up to heaven. Right? They try to meet God on their own terms, but it doesn't work. He knocks their building down and drives them farther and farther from him because humanity, we always try to serve God in our own way. So we have creation, Genesis 1 and 2. We have the fall, Genesis 3 through 11. And we have really the biggest chunk of the Bible. It goes from Genesis chapter 12 to Revelation chapter 20. It's the story of redemption. And we could spend weeks, if not months, on just how this story unfolds. But in Genesis 12, God goes to a guy named Abraham and he says, through you, I'm going to bless all of the nations. I'm going to undo the curse that I did. I'm instead going to bless everyone. And in that story, we see the beginning of God's work in this world. God starts reaching down to us a little bit more and a little bit more. I've described it sometimes as like a light at the end of a tunnel. It just keeps getting a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger as God reaches more and more into this world. And eventually, the greatest way in which God reached into this world was in the person of Jesus Christ. God himself came down to dwell with us, to die a death on the cross because it wasn't because of anything that he did wrong. He was perfect. But to die a death for us. And even now, as, you know, as we've been talking in Ephesians, right, we look forward to the day in which God brings about his new creation. We look forward to the day in which all things in heaven and on earth are united in Christ. But until that day, we are a little pocket of what's to come. Right? We've already been redeemed, but we look forward to that restoration that will come at the end of time. This may, be, this may be a little controversial. We talked about this a little bit in a Bible study on Thursday, but it's important enough of a point to bring up. Our Christian hope is not heaven when we die for eternity. Let me say that again. Our Christian hope is not heaven for eternity. Our Christian hope is that God will restore his creation 
to what it was. And in those last two chapters of the Bible, that last little section where God describes how everything will be restored, he uses a couple words. There's a new heavens and a new earth. And just as we mentioned a few, a few minutes ago, when God created the world, he created the heavens and the earth. And on that last day, on that final day, God is going to recreate his creation. He's going to enable us through his spirit to live, not as Adam and Eve did, not in their sin, not by rebelling against God, but he's going to enable us to be a people who love God and who are characterized by him. So we have these four movements. Creation, God made a perfect world. Fall, we as people rebelled against God. Redemption, God provided a way back and restoration. God will fix his creation. Heaven will come down to earth, right? That's what we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we'll go back to the Garden of Eden, that place where God created so that we could have a relationship with him a place where we can go and meet God as heaven comes down to earth. So this is, this is the structure of the story of the Bible. We just covered a lot of stuff in like five or ten minutes. But what I want to mention this morning is that there are different aspects of the gospel. So you know when like you're in ninth grade biology or whatever and you're learning about like the skeletal system and the circulatory system, there's different maps of the body, right? There's different maps of the body. Right? Like you have one that shows all of the different bones in the body. But that's not who you are. You're a whole lot more than bones. There's muscle on top of those bones. Because if the bones are going to move, you've got to have muscles that move them. But the body is not just bone and muscle. You've got to have some life in those bones. Right? They have to get nutrients. So there's a circulatory system where your blood gets pumped around your body and it feeds all of this nutrition and all of this oxygen to the muscles and to the bones. But if that's all you are, then how does your head communicate with your hand, communicate with your foot? How does your body do anything together? It's because you have the nervous system, right? You have a spine. You have all of these nerves going out through your body. You have all of these different systems kind of stacked on top of each other. And if you just point out one of those, if you just say, hey, the body is a skeleton, and just ignore the rest of those, you're going to wind up with a really incomplete person. If you just say, hey, no, we're not going to talk about the skeleton, we're just going to talk about the muscular system today. And if that's all you talk about, then, then you're missing something important. Even though there are different aspects to how the human body is created, you can't just take one of them. You may choose to focus on one of them for a period of time, but you have to take all of them together. So even as, we, even as we look at the story of the Bible, the story of the gospel, using this structure, and I should say we, we need to use this structure, right? Sometimes we forget sometimes to talk about the creation, right? I've, I've heard presentations of the gospel that just say, you're a sinner and you need to get saved, and that's true. And if that's all you have time for, that's okay, but there's more to the story than that, right? God created things perfect, and we always have to have kind of this movement as well. We have to have a fall where humanity rebelled against God, right? We, we don't believe in, in some sort of humanistic ideal that humanity just keep, we're just going to keep getting better and better and better and better. No, we, we're people who rebel against God. We need to be redeemed. So we need this structure. But the way we look at this structure can have different aspects to it. So we as a people were created sinless, 
right? This is, this is an aspect of the gospel that I, growing up in a really conservative Baptist church, was really familiar with, right? They told me a lot about my sin and my need for judgment. And the aspect, and that, that's true, right? I am a sinner. I do deserve judgment. The story, when we map it out in the creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, we see in creation we were created sinless, Adam and Eve had done nothing wrong in the garden. They weren't created as people who, who struggled with a sin nature. They were created perfectly innocent from any sort of misdeeds, any sort of crime. But they rebelled against God. And their sin earned them the wrath of God. Sin is not only something that drives us from God, but it earns us God's wrath. He is a holy God who cannot abide sin in his presence. So, so he kicks Adam and Eve out of his presence, and he, he submits them to judgment. And that's, the basic, that, that's our basic state as a human race, as people who are sinful, who deserve God's wrath. But, and praise be to God, Christ died to take our punishment and to forgive us of our sins, and then he rose again from the dead in order to bring us to God. We can have forgiveness of our sins that are offensive to God because Christ's sacrifice works as an atonement for us. His blood covers our sins. And then we look forward to restoration. In the new creation, we will be sinless in Christ's power, and we will have perfect fellowship with God. That sin that separated Adam and Eve from God will be, will be removed. We'll be sinless, not because of our effort, but because of Christ's. We'll be sinless. We'll be able to have a perfect relationship with God. That's one aspect of the gospel. But if that's the only aspect that we talk about, then we're missing something. I have this morning, there's three aspects. We're only going to talk about three of them. I think they cover most of the basis. There are more than this. Um, this sermon is, is taken a lot from the theology of Tim Keller. He's a Presbyterian pastor in, in New York City. He has a book. It's called Center Church. And he lays out like nine or ten of these different aspects. And I'm indebted to him, and I'm grateful for him. We're just going to talk about three here. But the next one we have is satisfaction and idolatry. Sounds different, right? Well, let's look at it. In creation, Adam and Eve were perfectly satisfied in God, right? God is good. He is infinite. He is eternal. He is enough to bring happiness and satisfaction to the human race if we will just have fellowship with him. But when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they made a good thing. Right? This is God's good creation, that fruit that they took. There's nothing wrong with that fruit. The command was not to eat it. They took that thing and they made it into an idol to try to get their own thing their own way. And that didn't satisfy them. And that's what we do as human beings. We make good things into God things, into ultimate things. And we wonder why those things can't satisfy us. The gods of money, sex, power... They're good things, but when we worship them, we will find that ultimately they leave an ashy taste in our mouth. But Christ's death and resurrection frees us from our bondage to sin. And in the new creation, we will be fully satisfied in Christ. We will once again have fellowship with the eternal God, who is the source of all joy and the source of all light and all of, the, all of the things that we try to seek satisfaction in, we, 
God will enable us to seek satisfaction in him and him alone. There's another aspect, a third aspect, an aspect of brokenness and suffering. You see, in the beginning, in creation, going back to these four, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, in the beginning, God created a world in harmony with itself. Not only did God create Adam and Eve sinless, he created a world that just worked together like it was supposed to. And all the animals were vegetarians. The lion didn't eat the lamb in the beginning because it just, everything worked together like it was supposed to. But in a fallen world, sin and death and destruction enter this world. And so we live in a world now with abuse. We live in a world with cancer. We live in a world with death. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're not supposed to suffer as we go through this world. But because of Adam and Eve's sin, that's what happens. And the resurrection of Christ is a foretaste of wrong being made right. The greatest injustice in human history was when an innocent man suffered a death on the cross for nothing he had done wrong. That's the greatest injustice in history. And God reached into human history to raise that man from the dead as a foretaste of what would come. It was a promise from God. I raised this man from the dead, and I'm going to fix everything. And in the new creation, we look forward to the day where every tear is wiped away. There's no more abuse. There's no more disease. There's no more death. God fixes all of it. We have these three different aspects, and there, there are more. There's more going on here than just these three. But if you think about it, sometimes we like to focus on one more than another. You can go to a particular kind of church, and they'll tell you all about sin and all about God's judgment, and that's good because we are sinners who deserve God's judgment. But they don't talk a lot about the social issues going on in this world, the brokenness that needs to be fixed. You can go to other churches that never mention sin. They just talk about brokenness. You know, we, you know, we're people who are broken and who need Christ, and that, that's true. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we never talk about our sin and our rebellion against God, then we're missing it. It's all of these things together that are the gospel of God. And as we move on to telling the story to other people, as we, as we actually share the gospel, we should do so by using the structure of creation, fall, redemption, in restoration. As, as you tell this story to other people, maybe you can't tell all of it at once, but use this structure. Don't, don't leave off the point where God created us perfect. Don't leave off the point where we look forward to, to a renewed, restored world where we can have perfect fellowship with God in our physical bodies. Don't, don't leave either one of those off. The middle is important. Yes, our sin is important. Yes, the death of resurrection of Christ is important. But when you share this story, use the whole thing. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. But when you share the gospel, you don't have to use every aspect. You know, it's really interesting that when Paul, we have in the book of Acts, recorded his travels, and he would go to different groups of people and talk to them in different ways. When he was talking to a group of people who were Jewish, Right, who grew up as the covenant people of God, he would always talk about how Christ is the fulfillment of the promise that they were waiting for. Christ is what they were waiting for. He's the king that was coming to sit on David's throne finally, to finally rule over sin and death. He was the guy they were waiting for. 
But when Paul goes to the city of Athens, right, to, there's a hill on, called Mars Hill, and there's nobody who, you know, grew up in church. There's no, none of the covenant people of God there. There's no Israelites there. It's just all a bunch of philosophers. And what does Paul do? Does he quote a bunch of Bible verses to them? No. He goes and he quotes them their own philosophers and shows how there's this inner longing for an unknown God who is supreme above all things. And he talks about how Jesus Christ is that unknown God. Depending on who he goes to, he tells different aspects of that gospel story. It's never the same every time. So as you share the gospel with other people, as you seek to have those conversations with those whom you love, your neighbors, your friends, your family, you don't always have to bring up every aspect. When Jesus came to this world, and he was talking to the Pharisees, right, talking to people who had amassed power for themselves, amassed influence for themselves, he called them to repent. He said, woe are you who abuse other people, repent of your sins and come follow me. But when he talks to people like tax collectors, prostitutes, people on the outside of society, people who are, who are at the low ends of society, who are filled with shame, he comes and he preaches peace to them, preaches forgiveness to them. And it's not because God's a God of anger to rich people and a God of love to poor people. No, it's just different aspects of the same thing. The kingdom of God, when it comes into people's lives, sometimes it looks differently to different people. If there's someone that you know who's been struggling, perhaps, with abuse, maybe you talk about how we live in a broken world and we look forward to the day in which Christ fixes it. If you're talking to someone who knows they're a sinner, Right, maybe they spent time in jail for larceny or something along those lines, and they, they know they're a bad person. Talk to them about how there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ for the sins that they've committed. You don't have to use every aspect, but you, do, you should talk about the creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. As you, as you share this gospel, as you look to talk to other people, to tell them this gospel story, share it from a place of trust. You know, when I, was, when I was a little kid, again, I went to a really conservative Baptist fundamentalist church, and we would go around the neighborhood knocking on people's doors and try to have a conversation about people's eternal destiny, right, where people are, like, getting home from work and trying to eat dinner. And I get that there's a period in time where that would have worked. When I was growing up, that, that never worked, right? There was never that relationship that you could share the gospel with, right? It's, I'm not saying you can never meet somebody and tell them, about Christ's work, but most of the time, you got to have a little bit of a relationship there. So as, as you seek to share the gospel, look to build relationships with those people who don't know Christ. Don't build a relationship from, you know, out of an ulterior motive, you know, the only reason I'm befriending you is so I can, you know, tell you about the gospel. I'm not saying do that. Seek to legitimately become someone's friend to truly love them, and from a place of trust, once you've developed a relationship with each other, tell them about how Christ will redeem and restore his fallen creation. Share the gospel with other people in a respectful dialogue. Don't just, don't just yell at people and say, this is true and I know it's true and you have to listen to me. But as you talk to them, legitimately with them, try to seek the truth. 
converse with them, listen to their objections, consider their objections. And if this gospel really is true, and hint, it is, if this gospel really is true, if you seek legitimately to come to the truth with another person, then you'll wind up here. But do it in a dialogue. Do it in a relationship with other people. Converse with them about the nature of truth, about the nature of Christ's redemption. As you share the gospel, use the structure of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Don't necessarily use every aspect. Do it from a place of trust. Do it in a respectful back-and-forth dialogue, and you can do it over a period of time. It was really ambitious growing up that we expected to have a 10-minute conversation with someone and for them to make a life-altering decision in those 10 minutes with someone they've never met. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I've never seen it happen. But there may be those, there may be friends, neighbors, family members that you share the gospel with. You tell them about Christ's death and resurrection, what he's done. And you, you, you keep sharing it, you keep sharing it. And they keep resisting and keep resisting and they don't want to hear it and they don't want to hear it. And I'm not saying be annoying. I'm not saying overstep your bounds. But it doesn't always happen in one conversation. Share the gospel not just once, but repeatedly. Not, I mean, still doing it out of a place of trust and in a place of respectful dialogue. But don't expect that they're just going to pray the sinner's prayer after this 10-minute conversation. Do it over a period of time. But no matter what we do, no matter how we share it, no matter with whom we share it, Always point them to repent of their sins and to trust Christ. If we use the aspect of sin and judgment, that fits in really, really well, right? We repent of our sins. I've done wrong. I need to forsake that life, and I need to trust that Christ is the only one who can forgive me of my sins. If there's someone who, who's been hurt a lot and wounded a lot, share with them that they need to get rid of the ways in which they look for satisfaction and solace in other places, right? As we look for satisfaction in distraction, in, in television, in, in perhaps substances, things that try to numb the pain. Repent of those things and always encourage them to turn and trust Christ. Christ and his work on the cross is always the point of the gospel. It's always the fulcrum Right, that pivot point on which this story turns. Tell them how they can have hope as they look forward to the restoration of God's good creation. But in order to participate in that creation, they have to trust Christ. Finally, have them trust Christ to accomplish his will. We are a Presbyterian church. One of the things that means, and we don't always necessarily put this thing up front, but we believe that salvation is not up to us. It's up to God. I cannot change someone's heart. I can't even change my own heart. But Christ can and will work in the hearts of those whom he has called in order to make them alive. So as you share the gospel with people, as you, as you show them and try to, try to passionately demonstrate what, what God has done for them, as you tell them these things, it's not up to you to convince them. Let that give you peace. Christ will accomplish his will. Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, he puts it this way. He says, 
I planted. He uses like a farming illustration. I planted the seed. There's another evangelist named Apollos. He says, Apollos watered the seed, but God gave the increase. Right? We can plant the seed of the gospel in someone. We can plant them, you know, we can tell them the story about what Christ has done for them. We can water that a little bit. Say, hey, have you considered following Christ again? But ultimately, we can't make a plant grow. Only God can do that. Trust him to accomplish his will. Finally, point number two in telling the story. Pick someone to tell. Pick someone to tell. If I can, if I can speak candidly for a minute, uh, if I can't speak candidly here, then I don't know where or when or how I'm supposed to do that. So let me, let me speak candidly for a second. This church has a long history, a proud history, a history that goes back a hundred years. But we stand as a church on the verge of death. We're not dead yet. But if we don't take ownership of evangelism and discipleship, we will die. The temptation is going to be for each and every one of us. Oh, the pastor is going to come in and he's going to bring us people and I don't have to do anything. I can just continue to sit here and not share the gospel with friends and neighbors and coworkers and family members. And this church is going to somehow have a glorious future. That's not true. unless each one of us reaches out and shares the gospel. And I'm not talking about the people, you know, on the other side of the room or the person down the pew. I'm talking about you. Yes, you. If you do not share the gospel, then that's it. So I encourage you. I'm not saying it's easy. It's, it's really easy to just say, hey, tell someone. I'm not saying that it's easy to do so. Or that, you know, every time that we share the gospel, right, we're going to have amazing fruit. I'm not saying any of those things. Please don't hear them. But I'm encouraging you, pick someone to tell. There may be someone in your life who you, who you know that you can share the gospel with them and you have that level of trust and you just, you haven't been, for whatever reason, you haven't been sharing the hope of Christ Jesus with them. It may be that you don't know anyone. So what I'm encouraging you to do today is pick someone. Maybe you can tell them this week. Maybe it means just saying hi to your neighbor as you guys take out the trash cans on a Monday morning and you know you just form a little bit of a relationship with the goal that maybe next spring you know them well enough to say, hey, have you heard about Jesus and what he's done for you? But pick someone. And tell them about what Christ has done for you. Tell them that Christ, he's not leaving us in our sin. He's not leaving us in this broken world. He came to fix it. He died for our sins and he rose again from the dead as a promise that he was going to restore his good creation. That is a message worth sharing with the world. So I encourage you, I implore you, I beg each one of you, Pick someone to tell.
and share the gospel with them. As Janet comes, before she begins playing our final hymn, I just want us to have a few moments of silence. Just a few seconds. Pick someone. If if no one comes to mind, pray that God would reveal someone to you. But spend that time thinking about who to share the gospel with. People of God, Jesus is alive. We live in a world where a resurrection has happened. We live in a world where a resurrection has happened. And because of that, everything is different. Let's tell the world.